All right, church, and if you would, you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4 this morning. If you all have your scripture journals, um, you can also open those and turn to it. Um, anybody have their scripture journal with them? Yep, those. We have those on the, the book cart still. We've got several left. Uh, that is our gift to you. Uh, we just ask you to just join us in the series, or um, if you're not going to join us, you can still take one, read through Galatians. It's a great uh, letter that Paul has written uh, to this church to remind them of some very uh, relevant things to us. Uh, here in America, we, we've dealt with um, what we call legalism, right? When people within the church add to what Jesus already finished to say that, hey, if you're really a Christian, you have to do these in order to be saved. We call that legalism, right? We see that from the Judaizers, and they end up here in this, this church here in Galatia, and, and what they are doing is now imposing that which Christ has fulfilled and saved, he's, they're imposing that on these new Gentile believers. And Paul, he starts out and he's very strong in his language. And he's like, I cannot believe you are so quickly turning to this new false gospel. Not that there is another gospel, he says. So this is very relevant to us. But what we don't want to do and the, the importance of this is to be reminded that, that religion is important. Because the Bible talks about what pure and undefiled religion is. Jesus was very religious, right? But what we want is that which is pure and undefiled. And we cannot have that if we have not our Savior. If we don't have Jesus at the center of our message. So Paul is, is here now coming out of, of chapter 3, telling them about the law being this guardian and, and that, that the Gentiles were too going to be heirs according to the promise Right? Last week, you can, you can go back and, and listen to the message, but what we dealt with was how um, Abraham came before Moses, where the law was given, and Paul points them back to the promise, which was before the law. And he's saying, this promise was Jesus. And what the law did was it exposed our sin, reminding us of our need for the promise, Christ our Lord. So we pick up here in chapter 4, continuing on this. Verse 1 says, I mean that, an heir, that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were, were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you were no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment 
that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. That's God's word for us this morning, church. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, we come to you this morning humbly, God, in repentance, um, just, just repenting of, of anything that's gone on this past week, God, and we come to you uh, repenting, maybe even feeling convicted, just reading through this, God. I pray that we would not be led astray by the elementary principles of this world. God, I pray that we would not add to or take away from the goodness of the gospel. God, I pray that we would understand that we are heirs according to the promise because of the finished work of Christ. God, would you remind us of this truth? Would you remind us of the goodness that met us where we were? Would you remind us of the need to be honest with people? God, to not only share the gospel, but to share our life sacrificially of you as you have shared yours and gave it for us. Oh, Lord. God, would you just move in this time? God, would, would we leave here changed according to your word? Would we be sanctified in truth? And would we be changed in a way that the, the world and the community around us would see it tangibly? They would see evidence of, of your fruit and of your working amongst us by the way that we go out and live and speak and breathe. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we move through uh, this uh, these first 20 verses of chapter 4, um, I want us to, to look at three things, um, three points, if you will. Uh, we are, by Christ, redeemed from the law. We are, by our flesh, persuaded to lawlessness. And we are, by our flesh, led by the godless. Okay? So we're going we're gonna to work through those three. Uh, we are by Christ redeemed from the law. We are by our flesh persuaded to lawlessness. We are by our flesh led by the godless. Now this is, this is really um, important, the, the, the very first one, we are by Christ redeemed by the law. Because what Paul is building on here is that Jesus accomplished something on the cross. We can't sing true praise lest it be in vain if we don't understand that Christ accomplished something on the cross. And, and we sang that this morning. The wrath of God by what Jesus did on the cross was satisfied, right? There was just a satisfaction to the Father because of what Jesus did. And that satisfaction is that because of the law, we have transgressions. We know our sins, right? This is the purpose of the law. It's this guardian that keeps us within a framework that we know who God is and, and what he wants. And we know a lot about his nature and about his character by the law because we look at that and we're like, that's perfect. Like, that, that is good. That is undefiled. That is God. That is how God works, He's not a murderer, a slanderer, a liar, right? He's none of those things, not an adulterer, right? We look at the law and we see a lot of, about God. 
And because of that, we are under this curse because we can't fulfill it. And we know that if we can't fulfill it, we're sinners. And when we, if we are sinners, and we all are, then we're under this curse that we will face death. And just like Adam, our death isn't right here. But church, we are now without Christ, living in this world. If we are without Jesus, we are dead in our trespasses. And one day we'll be judged according to those deeds. Now those of us who are in Christ, by faith alone in Christ alone, will stand before the Father one day. And it won't be our rags that the Father sees. It'll be the righteousness of Christ that is seen. And that is because Christ redeemed us from the law. And we cannot fulfill the law perfectly, church, so Christ did. That is so important because that is what is being imposed on them. Hey, fulfill the law. Follow the ceremonial rites and the rituals. Follow all these feasts if you're really going to be a Christian. But we couldn't do that. We could not fulfill the law. And no one was ever meant to fulfill the law perfectly. No one was ever capable of doing it. No one will ever be capable of doing it. Only Jesus. So Paul, he starts off here, he says, I mean that an heir, because he's talking about heirs, right, in chapter 3. He says in, in verse 29 of chapter 3, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now this was very controversial, especially to um, the Jews, right, because that was them, that was their promise, that was God's promise to them, it was their nation. But what Paul is saying is, is that you, if you're not believing in Jesus then all you are is an ethnicity. But we, church, because of Christ, are his people. And the kingdom belongs to us because of the promise made to us, which is Jesus. So he's telling me, he says, you think that you're sons of Abraham, but Abraham would be astonished at what you all are saying. For Abraham longed for the coming of Christ. So anybody who believes is now an heir. And he says this, starting in chapter 4. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Now, is everybody a child? No. John says that those who believe, God gives the right to become a child of God. That's why we believe in adoption, right? You, you go on and you read about adoption um, there in verse um, five, to redeem those, this is what Jesus did, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. A son doesn't need adopted because son signifies that you have a father, right? Signifies that you have a mother, signifies something, you're a part of a family. So until you've believed in Jesus, you're not a part of this family. But what he's saying here is if you have believed in Jesus, it doesn't matter. Who you are, what you are, as long as he is a child, it's no different than a slave, though he's the owner of everything. Now, what he's also getting here, uh, here too, is, is talking about the law. Because those who were under the law, the Jews in the Old Testament, were under a guardian. So they were a form of slaves, right? 
Now that sounds different, and what I need us to do is disconnect slavery that we understand in, in the United States and any terrible form of slavery. There was slavery in the Bible too, where it was contracted work, it was help, and it was a guardian. Now this is this is talking about this guardian that was keeping them until the day set by the Father. Now you can liken this to um, a an inheritance for your children when they turn 18. Some of you all, uh, bless you all, you all are saving money for your kids. I'm trying to save money for Ed. Right. Like that's just like where we are in today's day. Um, but some of you will have like some money set aside for your children. Right. That when they turn 18, they'll be able to get the key to go to the, the bank and they'll be able to access some of it. And you will have parameters around that. Right. I know some friends who some of the parameters were, hey, on this day. Right. You, you first off, you need to finish high school. You need to not be terrible to your mother. Not to be terrible to your father, right? Like, there's some basic parameters. Abide by our rules when you turn 18. So long as all this stuff has happened, there's a day set and you have access to that. My friend used to tell me about this all the time. I didn't have that either. And it's totally fine. Turned out fine. But he told me, and every day we'd be at school, he's like, I get money when I graduate. I'm like, that's cool, right? I'm thinking of getting married, right? Like, I'm, I'm thinking of giving money away, right? Like, that's, that's the difference. But that's, it's this inheritance, this guideline until that day set by a parent. Now, what the Jews were under was this law that they were not hopelessly trying to fulfill, but faithfully following until it was fulfilled. Now, there's a difference. True Jews, even in the Old Testament, were not doing these things, abiding by the law and participating in ceremonies to attain righteousness. Abraham never believed that. Moses never believed that. And Jesus didn't come for those who were doing that. He came for people who would humbly, faithfully follow him for who he is, our Savior, the Messiah. The law was this guide for them in the Old Testament. Until the son came. Look at that. Verse 2. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. They were longing for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, so that they would be set free. Now, it's something really difficult for us to understand at this point because we weren't living at that point. But imagine all your life following these rules, abiding by these laws, and waiting for the Messiah to come. And what it does is it leads a, leaves a burden on you. And this burden feels like a helpless, hopeless place. And Paul is telling them, do not let this happen. For if you are in Christ, you've been redeemed by the law, redeemed from the law, right? You've been redeemed from it, so you don't have to try and fulfill it because you can't. Now, this is the beauty of the gospel, church, is that we don't have to earn our way, nor could we ever. Now, there's this balance, right? Some of us are thinking, like, then what do we have to do through the week? Well, I know that Jesus is not telling you you have to do this to be mine. What he says is, if you are mine, you will love others, you will serve others, you will be patient. You'll be kind. You'll be gentle. But the word also tells us that we're going to fall and we're going to fail. And that's why we repent. 
That's why we confess our sins to one another. That's why we do groups together, so that we can learn and we can grow from our mistakes and from others' mistakes. But it's not our perfection, church, we're seeking. We're living because of his perfection. We're living because of what Christ did for us. See, if, you really, if we really grasp the gospel and the goodness and the sweetness of it, then we don't have to say, we wouldn't want to say, I'm just going to go out and do whatever because Jesus already finished the work. No, we'd say, because he finished the work, I want to go and live for him. Because I understand what Christ did in satisfying the wrath of God on the cross for me, I want to go and to serve him with every breath in my lung. Some of you maybe, you're just like not feeling that this morning. Like, that sounds like a lot. Church, it is. It is a lot. And Jesus said, count the cost, right? We are to go and live for him because of what he's done for us. Verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. This is what Paul doesn't want us to go back to. He doesn't want us to go back to the basic moralistic uh, ways of the world. He wants us to go to Christ our Lord to follow him fully. Colossians 2.8, Paul writes this. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and according to Christ. He also writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4.14. He says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This was so important to Paul that, that he kept writing to different churches, different believers, to remind them, don't fall into the ways of the world. And just before this, what he's saying is grow up into maturity, he writes to the church in Ephesus. Grow. Some of us, we, we, we've seen too much of those who spend a lot of their time in, in doctrine that we don't want to be theologians, that we don't want to study uh, different doctrines. We don't want to dive in and know those big words, right? We don't want to, to, to walk around in normal conversation and be saying like ecclesiology instead of like the church, right? We don't want to be going around talking about soteriology instead of saying salvation, right? Those, this is synonymous, right? We don't want to use the big lingo because we've seen what that's done to some people. But regardless of what lingo you're doing, Paul is saying grow up into maturity, and the way that we're going to do that is by reading this. The way that we're going to avoid elemental ways of the world and spirits of the world is to read the Bible and grow up into it. And as we do that, when people preach that which is contrary to the gospel, we'll be able to call it out. But instead, church, we are by our flesh persuaded to lawlessness. Point number two. Instead of doing those things, and I mean all of us, right? You don't have to like look around and be like, am I worse than... No, we're all like this, by our flesh when we give way. We are persuaded to lawlessness. And it's not difficult. Like the persuasion is, is not difficult. There's times where I'm like, hmm, and I think about it, done. It's like cake to me, like, like being persuaded to, to, to that which is, you know, part of my flesh. It doesn't take much. Our flesh wants to, it's easy to give in, right? What's actually difficult, church, is saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to follow Christ in this moment. Like the, the, the only thing I have to compare it to was um, our meeting a few weeks ago when Robin brought in brownies, right? That, that's my comparison. Like I, 
that would be like sanctification to me. She brings up these brownies and brings them straight to me before any of you. Um, and, and she brings them right to me. And I'm like, man, this is so tempting. And I see all the kids running around. I'm like, I'll wait until everybody gets them. I didn't end up getting a brownie. And I, I actually felt good about that. And then I was rewarded later because she brought more to the house, right? Yeah, she, she brought some more treats and stuff. But it was like in that moment, it was a difficult decision. Church, that's what it's like as a Christian. See, if we're honest with ourselves, it's difficult. It's hard. We're good at being sinners. Because it is our nature without Christ. It's the way that we were born But Christ has made us a new creation, and we need to live like it. By our flesh, we're persuaded to lawlessness. This is where Paul, like you really see his heart for the Galatian church um, here in these these verses. Because he says here, he says, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved by those that by nature are not gods. But now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. You see, Paul writes to to the Christians in Rome, and we read about it in his letter to the Romans, that you're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. It's one or the other, right? And to be a slave of righteousness is to be one who's, who's living for the Lord, and a slave is, of sin is that which cares not about the law, but seeks the lawless, right? And he tells them, he says, would you really, after being known by God, church, when we've tasted the sweetness of freedom that is only found in the gospel, why would we want to turn back to that which Christ saved us from? That's a sign that you've not tasted the sweetness of the gospel. That's a sign that we've not enjoyed the goodness of our Lord. And he tells them, he says, how could you do that? To the worthless and the weak principles of this world. Church, those will get you nowhere. Those will get us absolutely nowhere. Not one step ahead Nothing. And I think about Nelson as, as he's talking about his friend and just dealing with life. And I think about those conversations I have with people. And, and they're looking to the ways of the world. And I'm not talking about even the progressive ways of the world. Church, conservative people, right, aren't talked about enough in the sense that it's all about saying Jesus and holding to a few core values. But what Jesus does is makes us an absolutely new creation that which, that which the way that we walk, talk, breathe, live, act, everything, the way that we parent, the way that we're friends with people, the way that we serve people, everything from the head to the heart to the hands, Jesus is making new. And too often the world is, is saying, both conservative and progressive, do your thing, be you. No, do your thing and be like us. And we, the church, should be like, don't do your thing, be like Christ. Don't be persuaded to either one of those when the camp is in the kingdom of God, those who have repented and believed. But we, by our flesh, don't do those things. We follow the lawlessness. We're persuaded that way. 
And it's by our nature, it's in our nature to do what is wrong. It's natural for us. It's so easy. But when the, um, here in verse 10, he says here, he says, you observe days and months and seasons and years, and then a little hard hit for them. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Days and months and years. What he's saying is, is you all observe these rituals, but you didn't see Christ in any of it. See, every ceremony, every feast, every fast, every word of the law was a point to Christ. He says, you observe days, months, and years. And then he says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. They're falling back to elementary principles of the world. Church, we cannot become a church of tradition if the tradition is not rooted in Christ. You see, we may go through a season where, where we're, we're fasting every Friday. But when the, that moment that that Friday fast stops does not mean that we are less spiritual or less connected with Jesus Christ because the fast has stopped. The moment that, that we, we drop the acoustic guitar and electric and we go back to clapping and, and just singing a cappella does not mean that we are not in tune with God anymore. Church, those are traditions, but what is not a tradition is the gospel of Jesus. It's been the same since before the foundation of the world, and it will last for all of eternity. There is no end. Romans 8, uh, verses 1 through 11. It's a lengthy passage, but I want to read this um, to us here real quick. Romans 8, 1 through 11, talking about our spirit-filled life. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Church, the law could not do it, Right? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, for, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit." For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind is set on the flesh, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, church, when we give ourselves to, to that which is lawless, when we give ourselves to lawlessness, when we're persuaded that way, we cannot have life. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, he says in verse 9, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life Give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
Church, Christ accomplished something. And those who are in Christ and Christ in you, you've been given the Spirit. Do not be persuaded to lawlessness. And do not by your flesh be led by the godless. Point number three. By our flesh, that's what we do. We, we will drop the teacher who is teaching truth so that we may be led by the godless and the easy message. Right? We will follow the, the godless. And not only that, but we'll follow the godless, the person who, who goes by the law but does not understand what the law was doing. When the law was pointing to Jesus and saying that we needed a Savior to fulfill this perfectly. He says here in verse 12, Brothers, I entreat you become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Hebrews 13 verses 7 through 9. Paul, so Paul's saying here, saying, become as I am, right? Get back to this message. Follow me, right? Paul also says that elsewhere. Follow me as I follow Christ. But he says, or the author of Hebrews says this, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome, leave it here for a second too, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now we can look at, at that, that brother or sister in Christ who just like really just inspired us. They, they were walking with the Lord. They were talking with the Lord. They were serving in a sacrificial manner that represented Christ in them and through them and for the glory of God. And we can look at their life and we can say, man, God blessed them. And I don't mean God blessed them with this and that. He just blessed their life. His, his hand was over them. And that's what we need to imitate. Not the person who's saying, follow me, I have some good ideas, some good concepts. Not the one who says, hey, give me your, your money and God will surely bless you. Like that, the prosperity gospel, right? The, the, the law-filled gospel in the sense that we're commanding that you uphold the law in order to be a Christian. Not the legalistic gospel, but the true gospel that sets sinners free by faith in Christ. We uphold that. And Paul is telling them because he had a significant amount of time with them, become as I am. He says, for I have also become as you are. He did that to serve them. He said, you did me no wrong. And he goes on to talk about this ailment. Paul wasn't even going to be here in Galatia. He says, I, pre I preached the gospel to you at first because of my bodily ailment, right? Paul seemed to have some kind of eye issue. They believe that's why he's, he's even making the the. Obviously, he went blind, right? So, like, there was an issue there. But this seemed to have, like, an issue with his eyes, ongoing issue. And he says, that's why you would have even gouged your eyes out and given them to me. He says that his, his ailment would have been, like, a nuisance to them. He says, I thank you for, for not letting that um, get in the way. But the whole reason he ended up being there to preach to them to begin with was because of that. And be, even though my condition, it wasn't a trial to you, or though it was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or despise me, but you received me. He says, what then has become of your blessedness? Where did you go? Where did that sacrificial way of life go to you all? And then he says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Oh, man. 
People can, can become my enemy by telling lies. But man, you tell the truth. Like, how can you be an enemy for telling the truth? I know. It's when you're in sin. And he's telling them, don't do this. Don't fall into the way of the enemy. Do not be led by the godless. He says, they make much of you. He's talking about those who are coming in and imposing the law on them. He says, but they do it for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. They wanted them to quit preaching the true gospel because it got in the way of their platform. It got in the way of that which they were pushing, which was not the gospel. He says, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for, I, uh, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Verse 20. Ben, you can go ahead and come back up. He says this. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. Church, this is another verse of like why I think it's important that we are personally engaging with people. Paul had shared so much life with them. And this verse just shows us that he cannot get out all that he wants to get out. He cannot get the tone across that he wants to get across because of this. He's writing in a letter. I wish I was with you so that I could tell you. And church, let me tell you, the gospel is worth fighting for. We have to preserve it. And he is destroyed by this. This people that went from serving Christ our Lord are now serving lawlessness, following the godless, forgetting that they were redeemed from the law by the finished work of Christ. And Paul says, I wish that I could change my tone and be with you. Now, Paul's come across pretty harsh, but if I had to guess in person, he'd lay it on a little thicker. Because church, sometimes the truth needs to be told in a harsh way. Sometimes. Because the gospel is what sets sinners free. That's why Jesus was flipping tables. Jesus didn't go into Cool Beans and say, Cool Beans, you're supposed to act like Jesus. No, Jesus went into the temple and said, This is the house of God. Treat it like the house of God. Church, we need to do this with one another and be honest and be truthful with one another that we need to uphold and maintain this word. Amen? And as we read it and as we do that with one another, we can call out things as they come in, as the lawless kind of makes its way in, as the godless kind of make their way in. We can point them to the truth with love and with grace, with one another holding each other accountable to that which God has given us for us and for his glory. Let us remember that. Let us remember that we have been set free Church, you can go ahead and stand up. We're going to sing one last song. I, I want us to remember that freedom that we have in the Lord. Because this week, I guarantee you, and, and I know what I'm going to do on Monday. Like, what can I do to, to please God this week? And what, what can I do? And, and how can I, like, kind of make up for some of uh, what Jesus did on the cross? Don't do that. But instead, tomorrow morning, wake up and say, man, because Jesus died for me, I want to serve him this week. I just want to faithfully serve him and love him and tell people about him. How can we do that? 
And to those of you who maybe don't know Christ as your Lord this morning, repent and believe, and you will have life. I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to share with you a little bit more about that. But we're going to sing this last song. And it couldn't be more fitting. It's all glory be to Christ. And our salvation, because of our salvation, to glory, the glory be to God, God alone. Father, we thank you for the finished work of Jesus. We thank you that we've, we've been redeemed from the law by Christ. And God, we pray that you would just remind us of that truth tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday. Just get us through the week so that next Sunday we can look back and say, man, we served you. With your spirit working inside of us, we proclaimed you. Father, this morning we praise you. We thank you for what you have done. God, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you that you're going to see it through to the day of judgment. God, would you be with us this week? Those who are sick, heal them. Lord, those who are, who are weak, give them strength. God, as we go, give us boldness. It's in Jesus' name we pray.